Amen. All right, well, we're there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. And uh, if you remember, we, we took a break from 1 Corinthians last week, uh, but we've been going through the book of 1 Corinthians. We're almost done with 1 Corinthians. This is actually our third sermon in chapter 15. This is our last sermon in chapter 15, and it's a long chapter. It's got a lot of information. Uh, we spent the first couple of weeks going through verses 1 through 34. We're going to pick up right where we left off in verse number 35 tonight. But before we do that, I want to just uh, remind you the context of the chapter and what's being uh, said here. You know, we're, we're going verse by verse, chapter by chapter on Wednesday nights through these books. We're studying the Bible together. It's good to understand the context. If you look at verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12, Paul said this, he says, he's speaking to the church at Corinth, he says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So what I want you to remember and understand is that there are some people in the church of Corinth that are basically teaching or uh, pushing this idea that there is no resurrection of the dead, that the that believers do not resurrect from the grave. And this is not something that was unheard of at the time of, of the New Testament believers. It's not something that's unheard of today. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 15. That'll be our text for tonight. But just real quickly, go to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 20 and verse number 27. Now do me a favor, when you go to Luke, put a ribbon or a bookmark or a bulletin or something there, uh, because we're going to leave Luke and we're going to come back to Luke several times during the sermon tonight. So I'd like you to be able to get there quickly. Luke chapter 20 and look at verse number 27. We learn in the Bible that there's been often many who deny the resurrection, deny that there is a resurrection. Here's an example of that. In Luke chapter 20 and verse 27, the Bible says this, Then came to him certain of the Sadducees. Remember, in the Gospels, you had the, the main people that we look at as the villains or the bad guys in the Gospels are the Pharisees. But there was also the Sadducees. And the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is that the Sadducees, notice what it says, which deny that there is any resurrection, and they asked him, and it goes on to talk about that. But I want you to notice there that the Bible tells us the Sadducees denied that there is no resurrection. They did not believe that there was a resurrection from the grave. Go Keep your place there in Luke. We're going to come back to it. We go to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number 26. You're there in Luke. Just the next book over is Acts, Acts chapter number 26. And so the Sadducees denied the resurrection. And look, today there are people who deny the resurrection. And uh, even uh, people who claim the name of Christ or call themselves Christians. The Jehovah's Witnesses today deny the resurrection. They are like the Sadducees in the book of Luke. They say that there is no resurrection. The Seventh-day Adventists as well deny the resurrection. In Acts chapter 26, if you study the book of Acts, you'll find that the resurrection is a common theme that is preached about in the book of Acts. And in verse 8, we have the Apostle. So Paul, notice what he says. He says, why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? And he's the idea of believers, and we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks when we're looking at it, that you cannot be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection. You cannot be saved and not believe in the resurrection. And that's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. He's dealing with these people who are saying they deny the resurrection. There is no resurrection. Look at verse 35. And, and again, if that's something that you struggle with or something you don't understand, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the first two sermons that were preached out of 1 Corinthians 15, especially the first one when we dealt with just like the first six or eight verses and we talked about the reliability of the resurrection and why we believe in the resurrection and the fact that it is not, according to the Bible, a blind faith, but it is because of eyewitness accounts that we understand that happened. Look at verse 35, though. In, 35, in verse 35, Paul gives two questions that he's going to answer as we finish up this chapter. In 1 Corinthians 15, 35, he says this, But some man will say, and again, he's talking about those who deny that there is a resurrection. And here's question number one. Question number one is, how are the dead raised up? So he says, but some man will say, he says, somebody out there is going to say, you know, because he just got done talking about the resurrection, the need of the resurrection, the reliability of the resurrection. And he says, well, some of you are going to ask this question. How are the dead raised up? That's question number one. Question number two is, and with what body do they come? So what the Apostle Paul is going to do for us now, he's going to answer, he's going to take the rest of this chapter to answer those two questions. How are the dead raised up? And with what body are they raised? And tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to study this idea of our glorified bodies. We're going to study the idea of what it is, how are 
the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? When we are resurrected at the rapture, and that's what we believe, is that those who have placed their faith in Christ will one day be resurrected from the dead. What body will you have? We're going to study that tonight. And we're going to begin with question number one. How are the dead raised? Notice verse 36. He says, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. Now, he begins to use this analogy of, of sowing a seed or planting a seed. And he says, that which thou sowest is not quickened. The word quickened means to be made alive. He says, something is not going to be quickened. Something that you sow, a seed that you sow, is not going to be quickened except it dies. So he's going to answer the first question. And the first question is really easy to answer. Remember, it's how are the dead raised? And he says, here's how they're dead. Number one, somebody dies. You know, someone is, uh, has to die before they can be quickened or resurrected or made alive. Then he says they have to be buried. Look at verse 37. He says, and that which thou sowest, and again, the idea here is of a plant, thou sowest not that body uh, that shall be, but bear grain, it may by chance of wheat or of some other grain. I want you to notice that he says it has to be sowed. And by the way, let me just say this, and this is not you know, uh, um, something that the Bible tells us we have to do, and it's not a sin. You know, I don't believe it's a sin to do otherwise, but I will say this. Historically, Christians have always buried their dead because of the resurrection, because of the fact that it is a picture that we take a body and we plant it into the ground and we bury it with the idea that once it's died and it's sowed, it will one day be quickened and made alive. You will find that it's always been the heathen. It's always been those who reject God and reject the word of God who will burn their dead or do things of that matter. And again, I'm not saying cremating someone is a sin or whatever, but here's what I'm saying. Historically, Christians have always buried. That has been something that's made us different than other pagan religions. And part of that, and the main reason for that, is because of this picture of the resurrection. Something dies, and it is sowed. It is planted. Then, of course, it is quickened and transformed. Look at verse 37 again. He says, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be. Here's what he's saying. When you put something into the ground, when you put a seed into the ground, you're not expecting for that same thing to come back up. You're expecting for that seed to be transformed into something else. But bare grain, it may by chance of wheat or of some other grain. Notice verse 38. But God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him. As it hath pleased who? As, is that as, as it hath pleased God and to every seed his own body. So he answers his first question, right? And he says, here's how, you know, a body, here's how the resurrection works. Someone dies who's a believer, they're buried, and then they're transformed into a new body. God giveth it a body. Now we're going to get into what we're going to spend most of the sermon is about that body. With what, with what body do they come? But let me just take a moment to answer just one uh, quick question. And I was asked about this before uh, when we were in 1 Corinthians 15, and I didn't deal with it, and I want to just go back and, and look at it real quickly. And I think you'll understand a little bit more of the verse when you understand what we're talking about the resurrection. What is the resurrection? Uh, you know, what are the steps? With what, not only are we answering, answering the question, with what body do they come, but we're answering the question, how are the dead raised? And we know that they're, they're raised when someone dies, is buried, and transformed, resurrected. Now, in verse 29, we have a very peculiar verse. 1 Corinthians 15, 29. It says this, Else, what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And this is an interesting verse because today you have false religions like the, the Mormons will take this verse and they'll say, See, they'll, they'll say, You have to get baptized to go to heaven, which is a lie. And then they'll say, but if you, have a, if you had a loved one that died, you know, this is what the Mormon church teaches. They'll teach, if you had a loved one that died and they did not die as a Mormon, they literally believe that they can get baptized for their dead loved ones. And they get that from this verse. It says, else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? And they'll say, see, you have to, we can baptize for the dead. So if, you know, our great, great, great grandpa Jethro or whatever wasn't a Mormon, I, you know, uh, I as a Mormon today can be baptized for the dead so that that way they can go to heaven. Now, there's some problems with that. Go, go to Romans chapter number 6, and let me just say a couple of things. Number one, 
You say, you know, obviously, you, you know, do, do we believe that? Do we think that people can't be baptized for the dead? Here's what you need to understand. Number one, baptism is not part of salvation. The Bible says that salvation is a free gift. The Bible says, you know, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It doesn't say you have to get baptized. It doesn't say you have to go to church. It doesn't say you have to repent of your sins. It doesn't say you have to do anything. When the Philippian jailer, you know, when the question was asked, what must I do to be saved? The answer was, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If someone believes on Christ and it, by faith calls upon him for salvation, they are saved whether they get baptized or not. And, you know, the perfect example of that is the thief on the cross. Remember the thief that died on the cross next to Jesus? And he asked, he said, remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Did he say, well, you're going to have to get off this cross and get baptized because you have to get baptized before you can go to heaven. Did Jesus say, well, you're going to die on this cross without the opportunity for you to be baptized. So hopefully one of your family members will be baptized for the dead for you, so you can go to heaven. No, you know what? He said, remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom, and Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Why? Because anyone who believes on Christ and calls upon him for salvation is saved, will be saved. So we know that baptism is not part of salvation. Baptism is something that we do after salvation. But we also know this, that once someone dies without Christ, there is no hope. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You have until, you know, you die or until God makes you a reprobate to get saved. And, you know, once you cross that line, it is appointed unto men once to die, after this, the judgment. There's no, you know, second chance after death. You have to get saved while you're still alive. So you say, well, what is this verse about where it says about people being baptized for the dead? Well, you need to understand a couple of things. And, and, and first of all, even if we don't understand the verse, even if we say, I don't know what that verse is about, we know enough about the Bible to know that it's not people getting baptized for their dead loved ones. Because you don't need baptism for salvation, first of all. And because once someone's dead, they're done. You know, they, they either were saved or they weren't saved. And it's once someone dies, it's time for the judgment. So you say, well, what is this verse talking about? Well, go to Romans chapter 6, if you're there. Romans chapter 6. And look down at verse number 3. And here's what you need to understand. We're talking about the resurrection, right? And baptism is actually a picture of the resurrection. Uh, Romans chapter 6, look at verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, notice what it says, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That, notice these words, like as Christ. So it's not saying that we were, it's not literal. When it says like as, it's saying this is a picture. This is something that resembles. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Notice verse 5, for if we have been Planted, Isn't that the same analogy that was being used in 1 Corinthians 15? If we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. See, when we baptize someone, uh, you know, we have our baptistry here. It's filled with water. When someone enters that baptistry after salvation, what they are doing is they are picturing a couple of things about the resurrection. Someone enters the baptistry, they have that water across their body. And that is a picture, of course, of the cross and where Jesus died on the cross. And when we take that individual and we then bring them under the water, that is a picture of the death. And when they come up out of the water, that is a picture of the resurrection. And what a believer is doing when they get baptized, they are showing publicly that they believe, number one, that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and that he rose from the dead as a payment for their salvation. But they're also saying that they believe that because of that, one day they will die, they will be buried, and they will be resurrected from the grave. So when you go back to 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul says, else what shall they do which are baptized of the dead? Remember, he's talking to people who don't believe in the resurrection. And I believe all he's answering, all he's saying is, if, if there is no resurrection, then why are you getting baptized? And you say, yeah, but it says for the dead. Remember, the word for can mean because of, right? So, you know, you go to the post office, you see somebody's picture, it says they're wanted for murder. Why are they wanted? Because of murder. And here he's saying, you know, they're, they're baptized 
for, because of, the dead could be a reference. And again, I'm not telling you I'm dogmatic on this. I am dogmatic on the fact that you don't need baptism for salvation, and you can't get baptized for people that have already died. You can't get saved for people that have already died. But, you know, I believe this is talking about the fact that the dead there, I think what he's saying is the way you and I would wear that would be because of death. And he's saying, look, if if you're not going to resurrect from the grave, if there is no resurrection, then why get baptized and picture the resurrection? Then why, you know, stand in a, in a pool of water and, be, and, and go through the motions of being buried and being planted and then being resurrected? He said, if, the, if there is no resurrection, because remember the context is he's talking to people who do not believe in the resurrection, and he's answering their questions. They're asking, well, how are people uh, resurrected from the grave? And he said, well, it happens the same way you got baptized. You, someone dies. They're buried, and they're resurrected from the grave. But go, go down to verse number 39, 1 Corinthians 15 and thir- verse 39. Let's get into the second question. Remember, the second question was, with what body do they come? So not, not only, you know, how are they raised, but with what body do they come? Now, we're going to look at a lot of passages. We're going to run a lot of scriptures tonight. You know, it's Bible study night. We're going to study the Bible together. But I want you to just notice a couple of things. The first thing he talks about when he talks about with what body do they come, he's talking about, what body, when, when that resurrection happens, when uh, the rapture happens, when we're brought out of the graves, what body are we going to be brought up with? The first thing he explains is the fact that there are different types of flesh. Notice verse 39 there. It says, all flesh is not the same flesh. Now, remember on Sunday morning, we were talking about the fact that the Bible is always ahead of the world when it comes to science. Remember, the Bible has all the science in it, and the world denies that and denies that and denies that. And then thousands of years later, they're like, oh, yeah, maybe we should be washing our hands under running water. Or, oh, yeah, maybe we shouldn't be bleeding people to death. The Bible is always ahead. And I believe that we are looking at a passage where the Bible is ahead on science. Because science today will not agree with what the Bible is about to say. But you know what? If I have to choose between the science falsely so-called of this world or the Word of God, I will stick with the Word of God every time. And I wouldn't be surprised if hundreds of years from now, some scientific you know, discovery was made that proved what 1 Corinthians 15 is about to show us. Because in verse 39 it says this, All flesh is not the same flesh. He says, all flesh is not the same flesh. That's what he says. But there is one kind of flesh of men. You know, if you don't mind writing in your Bible or taking notes, uh, right next to that word men, you can just draw a little arrow and just write the word human. That's what he's referring to, mankind. Another flesh of beast. You know, you can write a little arrow there next to the word beast and just write these words, land animals. Then he says this, another of fishes. You can just write a little arrow there next to fishes and write the word sea animals. Then he says, and another of birds. You can write a little arrow there and write the word air animals or air, you know, fowls, birds. And you say, well, what's the big deal? Here's what the Bible is telling us. The Bible is saying that these different types of creatures have different flesh. A human's flesh is different than an animal's flesh, which a land animal's flesh, which is different than a sea animal's flesh or a fish, you know, which is different than a, an, an air animal or a bird or a fowl's flesh. You say, well, why is that big of a deal? Here's why that's a big deal. Because today, you go to the colleges and universities of this world, and you know what they tell you? They'll tell you that a fish turned into a land animal that turned into a bird that turned into a human or whatever. And they try to make it sound like all of these, you know, uh, you know, all humans and dogs and apes and birds and fish, we all have the same flesh. Well, you know, the Bible says that all flesh is not the same flesh. Everything produces after its own kind. And look, an ape would not produce a human. A bird, you know, a dinosaur would not produce a chicken. They, that, you know, they, that's what's the sign. They want to tell us the big, mighty T-Rex turned into a little, you know, Chick-fil-A chicken or whatever. And it's literally what they're teaching, though, is animals turn into birds. But the Bible tells us here that they're not the same flesh. They're different types of flesh. So he talks about the fact that there's, and look, science would disagree with that today. But the Bible is true. The Bible's always true. So there's human flesh, and there's animal flesh, and there's fish flesh, and there's fowl flesh. But then he talks to us about the fact that there's different types of glory. Notice verse 40. He says there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial. We're going to come back to that in a minute. He says, but the glory 
of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. Now, when he's talking about the glory here, he's, the, the word glory is used to, to mean several different things. I believe he's talking about the brightness, and we see that in verse 41. Notice what he says. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the sun shines brighter than the moon. And we understand the moon reflects the, the, the light from the sun. And he says, you know, different stars have uh, different glories. They have different brightnesses. They, they have, uh, you know, some shine stronger than others is what he's saying. And here's what I want you to understand. And, 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 and I, I want you to notice this and get this from Scripture. Go to Daniel. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 15. Go to Daniel chapter chapter number 12, and I'm going to show you something that I, I believe, and you may disagree with it, and that's fine, you know, I'm not going to argue with you about it. You can send me an email, I'll just delete it, but, um, you know, this, I, I believe that the Apostle Paul is showing us something here, and because he, remember, he's talking about our glorified bodies, he's talking about our resurrected bodies, and he says, you know, there's different flesh for different types of uh, you know, humans and different types of animals. And then he says there's different glories. He says there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. Stars differ from one glory, from one star to another in glory. And I want you to notice this is a theme that's found in Scripture about the fact that our glorified bodies will shine. And in fact, whenever you see glorified bodies in the Bible, you'll often see the description is that they are shining, that they shine. Daniel chapter 12, towards the end of the Old Testament, you've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse 2. Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible says this, And many of them that sleep, all right? Now remember, the Bible refers to death as sleep for believers. Because when you die, you're, you're not gone, you're asleep. You know, the idea there is that one day you're going to wake up at the resurrection. And notice what he says. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, that's talking about believers, and some uh, uh, to shame and everlasting contempt, that's talking about the fact that even unbelievers will be resurrected for the great white throne. You can read about that in Revelation uh, chapter 20. Look at verse 3. And they that be wise. I want you to remember that, those two words there. Be wise. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. Now, you know, the flat earthers want to tell you that the firmament is some glass globe up in, in the sky or whatever. But the firmament is just talking about heaven, all right? And he says, look... They that shall be wise shall shine. If you look up to heaven and see those stars shining, that's how they that are wise shall, be, uh, shall, shall shine. Like the brightness of the firmament, notice what it says. And they that, notice, turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So I want you to notice, keep your finger there in Daniel chapter 12, and go with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 11. I want you to compare these two verses. If you're in Daniel, you want to go backwards, you're going to go past Ezekiel, Lamentations, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, and the book of Proverbs. And I want you to look at these uh, side by side. Proverbs chapter number 11 and verse 30. Now you know the verse, but let's look at it together. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise, all right? This is where we get our term soul winning from. Now, when we're talking about soul winning, what are we talking about? We're talking about going out and getting people saved. Now, I want you to compare that. Proverbs eleven thirty, the fruit of the righteous tree of life. And notice the last part of the, of the verse. He that winneth souls is wise. He that winneth souls is wise. Now, flip back to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. Keep your praise there in Proverbs eleven thirty. Go to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. And they that be wise, you see that? Proverbs 11.30 told us that he that winneth souls is wise. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that, notice these words, turn many to righteousness. What does it mean to turn someone to righteousness? That's to get someone saved. That's to make them righteous, right? And here's what I want you to understand. It may be that part of the reward system up in heaven has to do with the glory the brightness of the shining of your glorified body, we may be able to physically see the, your glory based on how much your actual resurrected body is 
is shining, and the Bible seems to indicate it's connected to how many people you turn to righteousness. I mean, what if the brightness of your glorified body had to do with how many people you got saved? Some of you might be a nightlight. Some of you might need to just hang out with some soul winners because you get your glorified body and it's like, it doesn't shine. And it's like, you never got anybody saved. You never preach the gospel to anyone because notice it says, they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And doesn't that make sense that Christ would be the one who's shining the brightest. The Bible says there is no need of the sun because it is Christ and His glory that shines you, Jerusalem. Why? Because we all got saved through Jesus Christ. He's the one that's really the one that gets the credit for everybody's salvation. But here we're told, they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. And Proverbs 11.30 says, and the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is white. Let me give you one more cross-reference. Matthew 13. Matthew 13, first book in the New Testament. Matthew 13 and verse 43. Matthew 13 and verse 43. Notice what the Bible says here, again, talking about the future state of uh, believers. Matthew 13, verse 43. Notice what it says. Then shall the righteous, that's talking about believers, shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Here Jesus tells us that the righteous in the kingdom of their father shall shine forth as the sun. So what can we learn? If the glory of your glorified body is connected to how involved you were in evangelism and in the Great Commission, which, by the way, is why God left us here, why we even have a church, is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, is to get people saved and get them baptized and disciple them. You say, why do we meet on a Wednesday night to study the Bible? To disciple you, to help you grow in the Lord. Why? Because it's part of the Great Commission. What if your glorified body, you know, has to do the brightness and the glory and the rewards have to do with how involved you were in fulfilling the Great Commission. What can we learn from that? Well, here's what we can learn from that. Some of you better get to work. If you're not a soul winner, you better get to soul winning. So well, I don't know how to do soul winning. Then let us teach you. Let us help you. But you need to get involved in this thing. And then let me say this. For those of you that are soul winners, you better make sure you're doing a good job. You better make sure you're thorough. Because there's many a soul winner out there who does that. They don't have a clue as to what they're doing. They're too proud and arrogant to have anybody correct them. They're going around praying a bunch of prayers with people that aren't even saved. They're not thoroughly explained. Some of you are going to get to heaven expecting to be real bright. You know, man, I get so many people saved every week. You're going to get to heaven and realize you didn't really get as many people saved as you thought. You know, we better be careful and make sure we're doing a good job when we're explaining verses, where we're teaching people the gospel, where we're explaining to them, we're asking them questions, we're making sure they understand why. Because your rewards in heaven are connected to it. How bright. And you say, oh, well, I don't care about that. You're going to be embarrassed in heaven when you're Mr. Nightlight, Mr. Least in the kingdom of heaven. Mr. You're going to have to go ask a soul winner to help you you know, see your way through New Jerusalem because you don't have enough brightness coming from yourself, you know, to show yourself around. Hey, the Bible tells us here that everybody, so here's what I want you to understand. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Everybody in glory, everybody, every glorified body will have a different glory, just like the sun has a different glory from the moon, has different glory from different stars. Everybody of these glorified bodies will have different brightness and different glories is what the Bible is teaching us here. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse 42. Now he begins to talk to us about the differences between the glorified bodies that we will one day have and the bodies we have today. Notice what he says in verse 42. In verse 42, he talks about the... the, Well, let's read it. So also is the resurrection of the dead, right? That's what we're talking about, the glorified bodies. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. So... A difference between our bodies today and the bodies that we will one day have at the resurrection is that our bodies today are corruptible or corruption, and those bodies will be incorruptible or in corruption. Now, keep your place in 1 Corinthians 15. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, just real quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and look at verse 1. What does that mean? Our bodies are corruptible. Our future bodies will be incorruptible. What does that mean? When 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, he explains that, 
But then he has another, there's something else that I, I see different from other people in Scripture. And if this offends you, you know, I'm sorry. But, you know, this is, this is how I see it in Scripture. And when you're the pastor, you can preach it however you want. But look at verse 1. He says, for we know that our earthly house, okay, I want you to notice what he says, that our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. Now, the word dissolved there means to fall apart. The same word that's the same Greek word that's translated dissolve there in our King James Bible and other places in our King James Bible by the King James translators was translated as the word destroyed. All right. So he says, if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. Now, we're going to come back and read more of this passage later on in the sermon, and it'll be real clear what he's talking about. But let me just tell you right now, or if you can read a few more verses to get the context, he's talking about our bodies. When he talks about our earthly house, he's talking about our bodies, the fact that our bodies will get dissolved. They will get destroyed. They are corruptible. They are corrupting. They are falling apart. Every day, your body is getting older and older and weaker and weaker, and it's dissolving and it's falling apart. And let me just say this. You know, I, I believe that when Jesus talked about the mansions we're going to get in heaven, you know, behold, I go and prepare a praise, place for you. And if I go, I shall come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. I believe those mansions, you know, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I believe he's actually referring to our glorified bodies. And if you look, and you, and you know, some people don't like that when I say that. Like, oh, no, I'm going to have a, a jacuzzi and whatever. You know, but if you look at, if you look at the description of New Jerusalem, in the book of Revelation, it's a three-dimensional city. I mean, it's like, you know, I don't really see us having houses up there. I don't really see the need for us to have houses up there. I believe he's talking about our glorified bodies being that mansion. And then think about this. Look at verse 1. He compares our earthly bodies as a tabernacle. Now, what's a tabernacle? A tabernacle is a tent. It's not even like a structure, you know, with like, wood, you know, it, a tabernacle is, is a temporary tent. And he, he, the, he, he equates our bodies right now as a temporary tent. And then he says what we're going to get is a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. Jesus equated it to a mansion. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say, look, your body is going to be just like the, as, as, as much, much better that a mansion is in comparison to a tent. That's how much better your glorified body is going to be to what you have right now. And again, if you disagree with that, you know, whatever. You want a mansion, maybe you'll get one. But here he talks about this earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. So when it says, what's going to be the difference between our bodies right now and our bodies that we get uh, after the resurrection is that the bodies we have now dissolve, corrupt, they fall apart. The bodies then will not dissolve, will not corrupt. They're incorruptible. No, go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 43. Then he gives us another difference. The first difference between our bodies now and our future bodies is that now they are corruptible, then they will be incorruptible. The second thing he says is that, look, look at verse 43. It is sown, talking about our bodies now, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. He says, your body right now, he uses word to describe it, dishonor, and then he uses the word glory to explain the next one. Now, again, that word dishonor, that same word, the word that's translated dishonor there in other parts of our King James Bible is translated as the word vile. And you'll find that that word is often used, it's, it's used about our bodies. Just real quickly, go to Philippians chapter 3. You're there in 1 Corinthians, you're going to go past 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. I know we're looking at a lot of passages it's Bible study night. We're supposed to be studying the Bible together. Philippians chapter 3, look at verse 21. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. Notice what the Bible says about the future resurrection. Philippians 3, 21. Who shall change our, notice this word, vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So the Bible tells us that God's going to take our vile bodies and he's going to fashion it like unto his glorious body. And that's what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. You can go back there. He says it is sown in dishonor, it is vile, it is raised up in glory. And the word vile means morally bad or wicked, meaning 
The difference, here are the differences between our body here on earth and our body after the resurrection. Our bodies here are corruptible, those bodies will be incorruptible. Our bodies here are sinful, those bodies will be without sin. Look at verse 43 again. It is sown in honor, it is raised in glory. Here's the third thing. He says, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. He describes our bodies today as weak. And he describes our bodies then as powerful. Now, let me just give you a few examples in regards to this. Uh, Go to Luke, if you kept your place there, Luke chapter 24. And it's interesting because in the book of Luke, and in, in Acts also, we'll look at that, we see a glimpse of Jesus in his glorified body. Because remember, Jesus... The Bible says the Word was made flesh. The Bible says God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus became a man like us in our weak bodies. He had the same weak body that we have today. But after he died and resurrected, he was resurrected in his glorified body. He was resurrected in the body that had power to it. Now, what is that power? Look, we don't know. Obviously, we don't know everything about the spiritual world and how heaven's going to work and all of that. But we do get some glimpses of it. In the Gospels, Luke 24, look at verse 30. The Bible says this, And it came to pass as he, this is Jesus, in his glorified body after the resurrection, sat at meat with them. He took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open and they knew him. And he, notice what it says, vanished out of their sight. Notice the Bible says here that Jesus in his glorified body, he was having a dinner with these people. He's just talking with them. And then he just vanishes away. He just disappears. Look at verse 36, same chapter. And as they thus spake, this is later on in a different location, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Now what's interesting about that, we get more insight in John. So go to John real quickly. You're there in Luke. Uh, Go to the book of John. Keep your place in Luke. We're going to come back to it. But look at John chapter 20 and verse number 19. John 20 and verse 19. The Bible says this, John 20, 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And I want you to notice, the Bible is very clear to tell us there. The doors were shut. When the doors were shut. Because remember, Jesus just got killed three days earlier. The disciples are running. They're hiding. They've got the doors shut. I'm sure they've got them locked. And the Bible tells us the doors were shut and Jesus stood in the midst. Why? Because he just appeared. And we see that Jesus, with his glorified body, is not limited to what our bodies can do. And, and we don't have time to develop this. We see that he travels, you know, vast locations much faster. Go to Acts chapter 1. Let me just give you one last thought there. Acts chapter 1, you're there in John, just the next book over. Acts chapter 1, Jesus in his glorified body. You know this, but let's look at it. And when he, this is Jesus, had spoken these things while they beheld him, notice what it says, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. What did Jesus do there? He just flew away. Saying, you think, you, you know, you're asking, do you think we're going to fly in our glorified bodies? I don't know, maybe. You, you think we're going to vanish and be able to, you know, pass through walls and, you know, they can shut the doors and we'll just walk through. It seems, that's what the Bible seems to indicate. You say, well, that's kind of silly. But here's why you think it's silly. You think it's silly because you think Superman flies, right? You know, all these superheroes fly. But let me tell you something. Satan is always mocking at the things of God. Satan is always trying to make, you know, the things of God seem ridiculous. So to me, it makes sense that he'd make it this joke you know, that these people are flying around. Why? Because Jesus was taken up into heaven. I was he's going to come down in the same way. He's going to come down on a flying horse, and we're going to come down with him. You know, so what I want you to understand is that our bodies right now are limited. You know, they're weak bodies, but when, they, when the resurrection happens, there will be powerful bodies. There will be bodies with power that will, will, I believe will be able to do special things that we're not able to do now. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Let me give you the last... You know, the, the next thing he says here about the difference between our bodies today and um, the coming bodies of the resurrection. He says that our bodies today are a natural body and the bodies that we will one day have will be spiritual bodies. Verse 44, he says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. 
There is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. I want you to notice that. There is a natural body, there is a spiritual body. Verse 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. How be it that uh, was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. I want you to notice the Bible says that there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Now, what can we learn from this? Go back to John just real quickly, John chapter 4. And today, you know, we, 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 we've been hearing a lot about these attacks on the Trinity, right? All these oneness, modalists want to attack the Trinity. And one thing that they'll attack us on, they'll say, oh, you guys believe in three gods? And, you know, the answer to that question is no. We believe in one God that exists in three persons. And they'll say, oh, well, you guys believe that it's three persons, like actually three different bodies? I mean, isn't that like, you know, polytheism? No, it's one God that exists in three persons. But they'll say, well, you guys actually just believe that they've got three different bodies? And, you know, the answer to that question is yes. And, the, the, and this is what they'll say. They'll say, well, God the Father doesn't have a body. Because the Bible says that God is a spirit. John 4, 24. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But we just saw in 1 Corinthians 15 that there is a such thing as a spiritual body. So you say, oh, God is a spirit. So therefore, he doesn't have a body. No, he does have a body. It's a spiritual body. It's a spirit body. You say, prove it. Okay, go to Matthew 18. Look at verse 10. They'll say, God is a spirit. No, no man's ever seen God. All of that is true. But listen to me. That doesn't mean it doesn't have a body. All it means is that no man has ever seen God. Because you know who has seen God the Father? I'll show it to you. Matthew 18, verse 10. Matthew 18, verse 10. Now, if you've got a red-letter edition Bible, these words will be in red because these are words that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke. This is Jesus speaking. Matthew 18.10 says this, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. How does he not have a body if he has a face that the angels behold? You say, oh, well, you know, he's a spirit. He doesn't have a body. No, here's what you need to understand. 1 Corinthians 15 teaches that there is a such thing as a natural body and a spiritual body. And no man has seen God at any time is true, but the angels behold the face. Jesus said, hey, the angels do always behold the face of my Father, which is in heaven. Go to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus. In the New Testament, you got Genesis, Exodus. So, look. Don't let these people try to confuse you. Oh, it's just it's one person. You know, it's just one person with one body. The Father doesn't have a body. Yes, the Father does have You say, well, he's a spirit. It's a spiritual body with a face, with hands. I mean, the Bible says that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Is he just sitting, you know, next to an empty chair? There's a body there. It's a spiritual body. Exodus 33, verse 18. You got Genesis, Exodus. Exodus 33, 18 says this. And he, now this is the story of Moses. This is Moses. And he said, I beseech thee. This is Moses speaking to God the Father. Show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all, this is God speaking to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy unto whom I will show mercy. Verse 20, and he said, this is God speaking to Moses, thou canst not see my face. Why? Because no man has seen God at any time, but that's not what the angels have. He says, thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in the cliff of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand. Apparently a hand he doesn't have. And I will pass by thee, and I will take away mine hand, and thou shalt see my back parts. God actually allowed Moses. He did not allow Moses to see his face, but he allowed Moses. He, he passed by. He walked by Moses, and he covered Moses as he walked by. But when he walked by Moses, he dropped his hand so that Moses could see him walking away. Not his face, but his back. That's what it says when he says, uh, verse 23, And I will take away my hand, and thou shalt see my back part, but my face shall not be seen. You say, what does this prove? Here's what it proves. God the Father has a body. Say, so, well, he's a spirit. Yeah, it's a spiritual body. 
First Corinthians 15 tells us that there are natural bodies and there are spiritual. The difference between the Father and the Son is that the Word was made flesh. Is that Jesus took on the form of a man, the body of a man, the flesh of a man. But that doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, three distinct persons with three bodies. So don't let today people attack the doctrine of the Trinity. We're running out of time. Go, go, go to 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 47. Here's another example of, of the difference between the, our current bodies and the future bodies. 1547. The first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is of the Lord from heaven. As is the earthly, such are also that are earthly. And as is the heavenly, such, uh, uh, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. What is the Bible telling us here? Saying this, that our bodies today are made for the earth. Our bodies then will be made for heaven. And he, and he talks about this in verse 40. We skipped it, but look at it again. Verse 40. There is also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrials. So our bodies then, you know, our bodies right now are not, they, they, they wouldn't survive in heaven. But those bodies will. Look at verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. The Bible says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. People say, well, how are you going to get resurrected from the grave? How is Jesus? This is what the Jehovah's Witnesses say. Because they'll say, no, Jesus was resurrected as a spirit. He didn't resurrect in a physical body because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But I want you to understand this, and maybe you won't understand it, but we just accept it by faith. The Bible tells us that our bodies today are flesh and blood, and our bodies then, they're described as flesh and bones. Now, let me show that to you. In verse 50, it says... Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. If you kept your place there. Luke 24. Let's do it quickly because I'm out of time and I don't want to spend another week in 1 Corinthians 15. All right? So let's just finish this up and we'll move on. Luke 24. Remember, this is Jesus after he resurrected. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. Right? They're like the Jehovah's Witnesses. They thought, He resurrected as a spirit. And He said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do you thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that, I, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. Notice what He says. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. So you know what? Jesus physically resurrected from the grave. And the Bible tells us His body had flesh and bones. You say, oh, well, the Bible says in verse Corinthians 15 that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? You know, I don't know what that means, but here's what I think it means. I think that our bodies up in heaven are not going to have blood. And you say, well, what's, what's the thing about that? Well, a couple of things. Remember, the life is in the blood, right? The blood is what keeps you alive. In heaven, the blood will not be keeping you alive. And also remember this. We are sinners because of our bloodline. Remember, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Our sin nature is given to us by our Father. And I don't want to get into a big old scientific thing here, but let me just explain this quickly, all right? In the body of a woman, you will have an egg that will cycle through her body. That egg will never become a person. It will never become alive unless it comes in contact with the blood of a man. That's how, uh, you know, uh, uh, a child is conceived. Our blood comes from our Father, which is Adam, which is why we're born sinners. So it makes sense that that blood doesn't enter heaven. That blood, we say, are we going to have bodies of flesh and blood? No, we'll have bodies of flesh and bones, but the Bible says here that flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, that's the reason Jesus had to be born of a virgin, because if he, if he had Adam's blood, he would have been a sinner like the rest of us. And uh, That's all more theology, and we can preach about that later. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 51. Oh, actually, you know what? Let me just show you this real quickly. Luke 24, 41. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye any meat? The word meat means food in the Bible. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a then honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. I just want you to notice, in heaven we're going to eat. Amen. You know, because you know what? You, just, you can't be a Baptist without eating. Uh, so I'm just glad that that's going to happen in heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. 
Here's the, the, the next difference between our natural bodies and our glorified bodies. Behold, I show you a mystery. We should not all sleep, but we should all be chained in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And we talked about that when we talked about the rapture. The last time we, we were in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 53. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. What is another difference between our glorified bodies and our natural bodies is that our natural bodies are mortal, our glorified bodies are immortal. These bodies die, those bodies will never die. Real quickly, 2 Corinthians 5. Remember we were there? 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. Verse 4, 2 Corinthians 5, 4. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, notice what he says, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. What is the Bible saying here? When you get your glorified body, that's why the Bible says in heaven there is no death. There is no separation. These bodies die. Those bodies will never die. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. We're, We're done right here. 1 Corinthians 15. We learned all about our glorified bodies. Some of it you may agree with it, some of it not. You know, maybe you think we're going to get a mansion. That's great. I'd love to get a mansion or whatever. I think it's talking about our bodies. I believe they're going to shine based on how much we invest into evangelism here on earth. I think they're going to be powerful. They're going to be able to do things that our mortal bodies cannot do today. But at the end of the day, here's what we know. There is a resurrection. There is a resurrection for those that believe. So what can we learn from that? Just real quickly, look at verse 54. We'll finish up this chapter. We'll be done. So when this corruptible shall I put on incorruption, and this mortal shall I put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, notice these words, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the resurrection teaches us? It teaches us that we need not fear death. Hey, Pastor Jimenez, are you afraid to die? You know, I'm not looking for the next ticket out, but I'm not afraid to die. And you should not be afraid to die. Why? Because of the resurrection. Now, if you're here tonight, you say, you know what? I'm, I'm afraid to die. I don't know what would happen to me. If I died today, I don't know what would happen. You know, the Bible says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. You don't have to leave here not knowing. You can know for sure that you're saved. It has nothing to do with what church you go to, or the fact that you're baptized, or that you repent of your sins. It has all to do with Jesus Christ. But you know, once you believe on Him, you don't have to fear death. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Look at verse 58. Therefore... Therefore, the word therefore means for this reason. For what reason? For everything we've just learned about the resurrection. All 57 verses leading up to this one verse in verse 58. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The resurrection not only teaches us that we should not fear death. The resurrection teaches us that we should stay motivated for the things of God. Why? Because your labor is not in vain. There is more to this life than this life. So while we see the world succeed, while we see the world prosper, while we see the wicked prosper, just realize that the story is not done being told. And there's a chapter after death. It's called the resurrection. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer.